ready, Aaron? Let's go. Let's go to Harlem. Harlem, New York. Harlem, New York. Uptown. Is it Uptown? I think it is. I think it is. That's where Adam's first store was. In Harlem? Yeah. Oh, cool. He's now in his fourth or fifth store. Who can keep track? Who can keep track? The boy keeps going up the ladder. Well, Harlem, this week's choice is Aaron's pick. It is. And it is the 1970 film, Cotton Comes to Harlem. And what are those particulars? Well, before we get into the particulars, full disclosure, I thought based solely on the title and knowing nothing about the film that Cotton Comes to Harlem was about a guy named Cotton going to Harlem. Yeah, me too. (laughs) I'm watching the movie. I'm like, why the hell did I think that it was a guy named Cotton going to Harlem? I, I think I pictured like a guy like Joseph Cotton going to Harlem. Oh, now that would be a film. <laughs> I was like, Cotton comes to Harlem. <laughs> wow. That would, that's an interesting look at it. it but no. It is. No. It is. Oh, the particulars. Directed by Ozzie Davis. Yay! A, A.K.A. Mr. Ruby D. Mm-hmm. They were married for a very long time. It was his first movie. That he, he also, directed. Uh-huh. He also directed Black Girl, Gordon's War, Countdown to Cassini. He's most famous for being an actor. He has right. been in so many things. The Client, Grumpy Old Men, Malcolm X. He's been in a tother, ton of other Spike Lee movies. Tothers. Tothers. Hey. A ton others is tothers. I think it's a great word. <laughs> yeah, I like I'm going to write it down. Write it down because I'm going to forget that and I'm going to be like, I came up with a with English greatisms. Greatism. Yeah. Tothers. <laughs> tothers and English greatism. This English greatism. I don't have room in my notes. Buckle up, people. I'm drinking the dry rosé. She's on the dry rosé. I'm on my gimlet. Let's give it a whirl. It's summer. The state's on fire yet again. At least it's north of you right now, yes? Yeah, but I mean... It'll be coming south. <laughs> it'll run out of stuff to burn. Um, It's based on the book, also called Cotton Comes to Harlem, by a Chester Himes. It is, I wonder if he's related to the Heinz brothers. No, H-I-M-E-S. Heims. Heims. Okay. It's starring Godfrey Cambridge. Um, before he gained a lot of weight. Oh, yeah. He became a huge person. Well, we'll get more into that in trivia. He, I couldn't find any trivia people. Oh, I did. Hmm. Of course. I, I guess you had to go to the black internet. <laughs> Ooh, I'm not a member. <laughs> they, 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 they're like, oh, what, credentials? I don't have a password. Then, then I get in. I can't get into all of it either. <laughs> There's Parts of it are even blocked from me. Ooh. The, the black, black internet. <laughs> oh, 
because you're the black white internet. Yes. You're the mixed internet. Yeah, they're like, here, you can you can view most everything. <laughs> but then there's always the black there black internet. Few treasures. <laughs> that's only for the blackest of them. Is is it that's a that's the quote from the movie that is running throughout it is is it black enough for you? Which is funny because that's come into the, recently. That's been a, a big thing. Yeah. Like Mr. Obama wasn't black enough for black America. Well, then no. it was like, was he black enough now? Well, and not always. I mean, black, black America isn't a singular monolith. There were there were factions of it. True. And there are also factions of it that has have his picture right next to Jesus. That's right. Oh. And Martin Luther King, and sometimes John F. Kennedy. I I must say I would have. Okay, that's never mind. Let's move on. All right, I do have Obama's picture up in my apartment. <laughs> I would I would have his picture above Jesus. That's a little sacrilege, I know, but I'm well, just hey, saying. I don't have Jesus's picture up in my apartment. So why would you want a white dude when he wasn't really white? But you know. Anyway, moving on. Before we dig ourselves deeper into holes, um, he. Oh, that's trivia. Yes, Jeffrey yeah. Cambridge. So he was also in Watermelon Man, The Troublemaker, The Biscuit Eater, The President's An- Analysis. He was in several TV shows. This guy appeared in tons of stuff because he was also a stand-up comedian. Yes, yes. Car 54, Where Are You? I Spy, The Dick Van Dyke Show, Police Story. Um, it, and Cambridge, what, what's his name? Godfrey, Godfrey Cambridge plays, but his character's name is Grave Digger Jones. Yes. And so they call him Digger. Yes, which I, I was like, excuse me? And then I was like, oh, Digger, as in I said, excuse me, quite a few times before I heard it. (laughs) Do you remember when you were a little girl? No, I only remember you telling me the story that this happened to me. Shall I continue or let it go? No, you can continue it. So we were at a friend's house in Endicott, Maryland. I didn't know it was a friend's house. she had a roommate from college of mine. And she had two little boys. And so you were out in the street playing with them. They lived on a cul-de-sac. And you were, Adam was, Adam was walking because he was with you. No. No. I thought that I was, like, this was before Adam. Hmm. Like, I, for some reason, I, the story I heard, maybe I'm making part of this up, was that I was playing in a sandbox yeah, I was playing in a sandbox. And since I don't remember any of it, I don't think Adam was alive. And I was really, really little, like before I could remember anything. So Like, like three, three or four? Yeah, I think I okay. was three because I okay, have that- memories of four. Okay. Okay, well, that makes sense. So you were a little three-year-old. Adorable. Oh, my God. So adorbs. And so... Um, Aaron never shied away from playing, you know, like gender didn't matter with Aaron. So she didn't have trouble playing with two little boys, but she came in and her eyes were huge. And she said, Mommy, one of those boys out there just called me a digger. 
which wasn't what the little boy had called her, but that's what she had heard because she'd never heard the other word. Oh, my God. Broke my heart. I wanted to go beat him up. And oh, Poppy yeah. Said, yeah, I was <laughs> waiting for that. You're making it be like, oh, I broke my heart. And I was like, no, you turned into like vengeful. Like you were going to have a child's a white child's blood on your hands. Yeah, I was. <laughs> and Poppy said, nope, not the last time it's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Got to move on. It's just the first. Congratulations, kid. <laughs> yeah, it's your first N-word that you thought was the D-word. So that's what comes up whenever I hear them call him Digger. Okay. Um, so, But wait a second. I was three years old and you're just letting me play outside in a strange not, neighborhood? What, I don't know. I don't know. Man, these... Yeah, I you hear in true crime you hear these stories about the seventies and eighties, and it's it astonishing. Be what a bad mother I am. No. Why do I tell these stories? No, I'm just surprised. That's all. I just it was I, a cul-de-sac. I admire how go. much you just learned on the fly. Apparently, yeah, you did. <laughs> just ah, hmm. well, maybe that would all right. Okay, moving on. So, and then. Raymond, is it Saint Jacques? Saint Jacques. Jacques. I don't. I don't know. It looks like Jacques. It's the French one. He was in Rawhide, Roots, Born Again, and in an uncredited role in Glory as Frederick Douglass. Oh, really? Yes, he played Coffin Ed Johnson. Yes, and they called him Ed mostly in this. Do you have any <laughs> stories? I don't have any stories about bad. an Ed. <laughs> um, and then Calvin Lockhart, he played uh, the Reverend Deke O'Malley. He was in Let's Do It Again, Maya, Myra Breckenridge, Uptown Saturday Night, Coming to America, Twin Peaks, Fire Walk With Me, and Judy Pace. She plays Iris. She was in Peyton Place, The Young Lawyers. She's gorgeous. Brian's Song, The Mod Squad, The Fortune Cookie, which I'm like, well, now we have to see The Fortune Cookie. It's a Billy Wilder movie with Jack Nicholson and, I mean, not Nicholson, Jack Lemmon. Again? I know. And One Red Fox. Yes, I didn't know he was in it. It was fun to see him. All the fine young cannibals. Norman, is that you? Harlem Knights. But of course, you know him from Sanford and Son. I'm coming, Elizabeth. I'm coming. And the Red Fox show. Yes. It was a 97 minute film. Yes. But there was a lot that was happening and. My eyelids were getting heavy, and I would think I was awake. And then I'm like, wait, what's going on? And then I'd have to rewind it. And even this morning, there was a lot of holes that I had. Okay, well, I, I did the basics because there was so much going on. Yeah. And, and the little, um, like, one-liners were just too much to write down. But there was something going on the whole time. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's an MGM joint. <laughs> I am so cool when I say that. Okay, so during the credits, there's a Rolls Royce, and behind it is like a gold 
uh, painted like it looks like a, a Brink's truck. Oh it, yeah, a Brink's truck. You know, truck. yeah. And at first, I didn't realize that it, it was behind it all the time. I didn't and, even notice it till you said it. I was just like, "There's a Rolls Royce, and it's going through Harlem." And right. the song is. Did you write down what the song is? Uh, is that black enough for you? Something black enough. Yeah, it's like ain't gonna be, but it's gonna be soon. Ain't now, but it's gonna be. That's the inspirational opening theme. It was written by Ozzie Davis and performed by Melba Moore, who at the time was starring in the hit Broadway musical Pearly. That is from Wikipedia, people. Outstanding. More than, is there a black Wikipedia? <laughs> <laughs> My Wikipedia had nothing. Wait, there should be a Blackopedia. <laughs> Blackopedia, writing it down. I'm sure it exists. Black people are really funny. Well, then, uh, and it's real, real scenes from Harlem. I mean, I think a lot of those shots were just real people walking down the street. Oh, yeah, it was shot in Harlem. Uh, but I don't feel like they were all, um, you know, like cast people. No, they used a lot of locals for extras and stuff okay and there are a bunch of people cheering surrounding this rolls royce and i said out steps a good looking young man in a sparkling cape wonder what that reminded me of Aaron. oh yeah as soon as you saw the cape i i said i'm in on this film whatever it is you show me anyone but especially a black man step out of a rolls royce in harlem with a cape a Here black is my money. cape with a red satin lining. Yes. Um, Aaron once wore a black sparkly cape in the in the little film known as Truth and Soul. Truth and yes, because and I mean James Brown. I, she was channeling James. You Brown can't. At that the time. only reason that you wear the cape is so at one point you take the cape off. Only to have it be draped upon you and give you renewed energy to start the show again. When you when you think when you look like you're out of energy and you drop you you just worked too hard. You got nothing, and they're gonna take you away. And they come to put the cape around you, and then and you you start shuffling off, and then the cape rejuvenates you, and they're like, you gotta give the people what they want. Yeah, gotta throw that mama back off and. Dance some more. That's showmanship. Ah, okay. So he's pushing through the crowd. He's got people helping him push through the crowd. So it's obvious this is like um, uh, a big deal. He's a big deal. I the, the Rolls Royce and the cape think that this was just a regular dude. And the gold Brinks truck. The behind gold him. Brinks truck behind him. This guy's the man. Now, in the middle of the crowd, we are introduced to the two undercover officers of the Black Persuasion, and they're they're checking out the crowd. And I got to say, the the look, the expression on Godfrey Cambridge's face the entire time is he he ain't got time for this. Yeah, he, he ain't got time for this. He knows but they do this catch a pickpocket. Yes. So the the lovely young man gets on a platform, 
the cape comes off and he has a very light colored suit on with a pink shirt and a pink tie. That wasn't that wasn't popular. Um, that wasn't big in the, in 1970. I feel like that was a fashion statement at the time. Oh, like he like he was fashion forward. Oh, he was he was bringing it. And he gets up on the stage and he says, "How about me? Am I black enough for you?" Oh, the crowd goes wild. Oh, they love it. So, 15 months ago, he was in prison, and at that point, the Lord came to him. Well, he wasn't just in prison. He was on his knees. And he was like, I wasn't on my knees praying. And I'm like, in my head, I'm crossing off (gasps) reasons in prison why someone would be on their knees. And he's like, well, he wasn't praying. Okay. And then he said something else. He was like, I wasn't. It was something else. And I crossed it off my mind list. And I'm like, okay, it's dwindling as to reasons why this guy would be on his knees in prison. And he is a pretty man. And then, mm. and he says, I was on my knees scrubbing the white man's toilet. And I went uh, back and said, oh. <sighs> like I mean, that sucks, my man. But my head... I am my mother's daughter. <laughs> we, we go to dark places fast. Well, he is building an ark. He's building an ark to sail his people back home. They're going back to Africa. The name of the ark is the Black Beauty. Yes. And this was a going home rally. He's collecting money to people because they're like, look at our situation here. Let's go back to Africa. And in my mind, I'm going, well, I mean, the situation here isn't great. But if you want meat, you can walk to the store and get it. 1970 Africa was not a real friendly place. I, yeah, I mean... (laughs) I'm not so, one of those, you're not going to, I guess maybe that's the white side of me. Because when I hear going back to Africa, I'm like, you know, I think I'm just going to tough it out here. <laughs> <laughs> there were room air conditioners. I mean, you know. Yeah. Okay, so the crowd is going, I mean, they're they're lining up to give their money to for a down payment. And the minimum down payment was $100. Which in 1970, $100 was a lot of money. That's a lot of money. I mean, remember just 10 years before in the apartment, the rent for the guy's place was $89 a month. 83. Yeah, $83 a month. So um, then there's a militant looking group. Um, Who were they, Aaron? Yes, they were supposed to be like a militant group. So they were supposed to probably be like the Black Panthers. The Black Panthers of of this of this movie. Yeah. And they start to cross the street and the they're stopped by the detectives. Yeah, by Grave Digger and Coffin Ed. Right. And they're uh, and the militant group is like, you know, you guys are you guys are are on the white man's team. And, yeah. We're, you know, we're not trying to cause trouble here. And um, I have the DA's people want to see. So in DA's people want to see. Somebody said that. 
the the district attorney's people are keeping an eye on what's going on mm-hmm. at the rally. And then there are shots fired. Yeah, so then the the like all of a sudden this crowd up on stage, a couple white guys show up and they're like with the district attorney and they're like and everybody's like, Who are these guys? What's going on here? Trying to trying to shut my man down. Trying yet another man trying to shut the man down. And then the uh then they're like, yeah, shots go off. Then uh, a, a van of sorts pulls up, and there are guys, um, cap, uh, I mean, in some kind of an outfit, head it's to toe. So like, yeah. yeah, 1970 hazmat style. Orange, gloves, mask, goggles. With machine guns. Yeah. And they they look like they're trying to kill uh, Deke O'Malley. O'Malley. Who we found out the good-looking guy is Deke O'Malley. Yeah, Reverend Deke O'Malley. He's a reverend. Yeah. Um, uh, there wasn't even an internet then to get his reverendship. Okay. And then um, they're, uh, the four men in the orange jumpsuits, um, they, get the, they get all the money. And so Dude jumped in the gold truck. O'Malley jumped in the gold truck, which is like a Brinks truck. I mean, y- y- you can't. You know, gunfire isn't going to go through it. And uh, I wrote a chase ensues. Oh, yeah, it's a great chase. You got O'Malley in the in the Brinks truck following. What were the bad guys in? Some kind. It wasn't a van that we know of today. It was like a meat truck or something. Yeah, some kind of a truck. Yeah, a covered truck. Yeah. Another, not quite a Brinks, but. You know, something like that. So it's them running off. The gold brings truck is following them, and the detectives are following the gold brings truck. Mm-hmm. But the gold brings truck is stopping the police from being able to get around them to get to the the assassins robbers. Yeah, and it's like, well, why don't you want the police to help get your money back? Yeah. Okay, so the police finally get in front. There's a lot of maneuvers. And um, and then the police and the Brinks truck are firing at each other. Mm-hmm. Which is odd because you think they're chasing the robbers. and But the police, Godfrey Cambridge and, and Gravedigger, no, Grave, Grave and, Digger um, Jones. Coffin Maker. Yeah, Coffin Ed. Coffin Ed are uh, not... <laughs> Coffin, but you know, yeah, like coffin, rest coffin. in peace. Um, uh, they are mad at the gold brings truck because they stopped them from their business from being able to catch the robbers. And you so, don't really know why, because on one hand, you know, Coffin Ed and Gravedigger, they're cops, and even though they're in Harlem, you know, cops, they're still yeah. repre- they're still representing the man. So, oh, yeah, you know, when you see the, the Brinks truck firing back at him, they're kind of like, you know, th- we're going to handle this our own. They stole our money. We're going to handle this ourselves. We don't need the cops nosing in on our business. Because the white man's going to take it anyway. Exactly. Okay, well, finally, the police, the, the whole chase stops when all three vehicles uh, get in a huge crash. 
And of course, what do the police run into to stop their oh, wait. pursuit? Because the whole crash is a great crash uh, opening chase sequence, and there's these little vignettes that show like comedy and ensue. Like there's one where it shows the, the like dope kills, and it's a bunch of like dope heads and stuff. And this guy gets high, and he's just walking out in the street, and you think he's gonna yeah, get, think he's gonna get hit, but it just goes around him, and then. Um, there's this guy who's painting this woman. Who was the? Did you know who the woman was, Ma? No. Is there, okay. There's the guy that he's painting. Do you know who that guy is? No. The guy that's he's painting this elderly woman, and while he's painting the elderly woman, telling her like, "No, no, no, stop, stop, ah, yeah, ah, stop, ah." He doesn't really say anything. He's being like super arty and silly. And meanwhile, there's a guy behind the woman who's cutting out her skirt to take. The wallet that she has, like taped her in her thigh and stuff, and the, she's she's not going to get robbed by these thugs anymore. That woman she's keeping was her the, money in her thigh. She is the old lady from two two seven. Yes, she is. I knew I recognized. They will always be out the window. Her. Yeah, that was her. And so she feels when her money gets taken, and she starts hitting the pickpocket guy. The guy that was the artist. That's Cleavon Little. <gasps> I didn't know. That's the only part of the whole movie he was in. No. We'll get these shows back up again later. Okay. I didn't recognize because I had to rewatch some of it this morning. I didn't realize until I rewatched it because he had like on these glasses and he was just trying because he was in on the scam with the guy. And so oh, the guy was yeah, the pickpocket. Right, right. He gets the money. And he starts to run away, and the woman's like kind of chasing him. And as he's running away, he gets hit by one of the by either the first car or the second. The, I think the first car hits him, yeah, and he and goes an up sailing in the air yeah. and lands. And the woman goes and gets her money back, opens it, and sees it's all there, and walks away. And then Cleavon Little's painter guy wa- watches to see what happens, and then. They they crash, but meanwhile the cops, Gravedigger and Coffin Ed, they did they got slowed down because the classic um, cart of fruit comes into the street. I believe it, it wasn't was even just fruit. I believe it was just it was horse drawn comes in and they crash instead of being an apple cart, it's a watermelon cart. Of course, and then. Coffin Ed has like a piece of watermelon in his hand and he's about to eat it and Gravedigger is just mad at this cart and there's watermelon he just smacks it out of his hand he's like you're not gonna eat this unbelievable okay so they figure the best place to go would be the girlfriend of O'Malley oh well wait because we skipped over so the yeah the the um the water, or not the watermelon, the Brinks truck and that, the apple cart, or not the, you know, the meat cart thing that stole the money, they, they collide. But before they collide, and I think right before they hit the guy, when they're taking a, a hard left-hand turn, a bale of cotton falls out of the back of the truck. And it just Big lands. Big bale of cotton. Yeah, and it just lands. And nobody says anything about it. And that's yeah. important because I had to rewind the movie to figure out, oh, and then I saw it and I was like, oh, that's the cotton. 
That's the cotton coming to harbor. Yeah. So it, it it flies out and the like nobody says anything. You just think like, oh, that like something big just flew out. You don't even I didn't even realize that it was cotton on the first screening. I completely missed it. So those two cars they end up crashing, blowing up on fire, like almost incinerated. Exactly. So, they know O'Malley, O'Malley's dirty. Well, Ed, coffin maker, he cannot stand O'Malley. He, he knows him. that he is just, he's a, he's a small-time shyster. Well, yeah, and he, he hates him because black, he, so like, Ed's like, look, black people get taken advantage of from everyone all the time. Always getting nickel and dimed. Always getting put, getting scams and cons put on them. Taking whatever little they have, and then this man is doing it to his own people. Right. And he's like, he not just disgusts him. So they need to find O'Malley, and they decide the best place to look is at his girlfriend's house, Iris Brown. Yes, and she is gorgeous. It, the her apartment is pretty gaudy. Yeah. Yeah, it that's some decorating, and she is pretty gaudy too. She's I mean, she has on like chain a, a chain metal vest and nothing else on top, yeah. and uh, uh, like yellow satin pants, but one is split all the way up, and she has like chain metal on her thigh. And yeah, she's uh, wearing a lot of metal. What was it about the seventies and like people wearing metal? As as instead, was it because they're just so mad at cotton? They're just like, I'm so sick of cotton. I don't want anything to do with cotton. No more it, cotton. We're gonna wear. No, we're no. gonna wear metal. I think it was it was more the chain metaphor. Ah, they're choosing what chains they're gonna wear. That's now that's good. I also think that mine probably has a little bit to do with it. You you probably have some credence because I will say there is a part of me that does my my eyebrow does twitch twice whenever those cotton the fabric of our lives commercials came on. I know. I will. There was always some part of me deep down that was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. So the detectives are saying, where's O'Malley? And she says she doesn't know anything about it. And they go, we know he lives here with you. And no, he doesn't. So they go to the closet and there are all of O'Malley's quite expensive suits. Oh, this man loves his Italian designers. So um, he's at, they're asking who made off with the $87,000 the people had pay, paid for down payments to get on the Black Beauty. Oy vey. 87000 of poor people's money. Where is it? And Ed gets so mad at Iris because she's pretty flippant. And he hits her. Oh, Ed. Ed is a, Ed is a problematic man who likes to hit women. It, it comes very, he gets very angry very fast. And he will grab a woman and... He'll pop Popper. a man too. It's not like it's just women, but he's equal yeah, opportunity. He has an anger issue. In that way, Ed is, um, you know, equality. He hits both men and women equally. And then he throws her to the ground. Yeah. 
Then the doorbell rings and a white patrolman comes in and says the lieutenant wants them down at the station. So they say, okay, patrolman, you need to watch Iris. She's sneaky. Don't let her leave. Don't let her get away with anything. Yeah. He's like, she, and and they, they reiterate it. Gravedigger says, look, my man, she is a sly fox. So she's going to try everything on you. Don't let her leave. So then they're told that the uh, the gold truck and, and a van were in an accident. One people, one person died, and it was the pickpocket. Yes. Pickpocket John. Okay. <clears throat> and they they're looking for the money, and they're also looking for this raw, uh, unprocessed cotton. From they find raw on. Processed cotton that would have to come from that bale of cotton. Well, yeah, it was, yeah. They found it in the truck before they, right. be, when they were canvassing the scene. So they don't, they don't know about the bale yet. They just think well, that's odd that there's raw unprocessed cotton here. And um, Digger says he knows what it looks like, and you know, so that's been a part of his past. So they say they want round-the-clock security on O'Malley. Well, wait, they, isn't that when they're like, Ed, Coffin, Ed, and Digger have kind of an exchange of, how do you know, you were born and raised in Harlem, how do you know what on raw and processed cotton looks like? Like, he was like, you didn't pick any cotton. <laughs> I, I told Erin I did the rough um, draft of this, and she needed to, to tell all those particulars that were going on. Mm, you, didn't, you didn't pick any cotton. <laughs> Now, Ed knows that O'Malley's dirty. And the white, and there's the, the lieutenant, and then there's the captain. And, and they're, of course, white. And they're saying, but wait a minute, wait a minute. How do you know he's dirty? He might be a good guy. He's, he's, he wants to help his people. He wants to help these poor people. How do you know he's stealing their money? Maybe he's actually taking their money for a good cause. So then we see Red Fox, and Red Fox sees a bale of cotton. Um, but and if we, we're doing back and forth now. So mm -hmm. Ed and Digger go uh, go to a bar, and they go to the back room of a bar, the back back room. And um, the militant men, uh, they barge in because they know that these guys are dirty. And it's the militant men who are teaching a Swahili class. Yes. Um, and at one point, somebody somebody stops Digger and says, you know, how dare you interrupt this? You know, we're learning Swahili here, and all you're doing is helping the white man. And Digger talks back to him in Swahili. So it was like, whoa, mm -hmm. okay, never mind. And then the guy goes... Where'd you learn Swahili from? And Digger goes, ask your mama. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, my man. Okay, so we're back in Iris's apartment with Iris and the young white patrolman. And she is trying to seduce the patrolman. Not because she wants any parts of him, but because she wants to get away. Yes. Um, okay, so that's ensuing while O'Malley goes to visit the widow of the pickpocket. Oh, that's who that was? Yes. 
I couldn't figure out who the widow was. Yeah, because it's like, um, you know, what can I do for you? I'm so sorry. He was my very dear friend. He died. And, um, you know, do you need anything? Now, this apartment is furnished with some yeah. real nice African art. He, I don't, wow, he's a fantastic pickpocket then. Yeah, he must be doing well because, uh, and and he had a good eye for, as opposed to Iris's apartment, this was this was really nice, and and his wife seemed really nice and really innocent. Yeah, I kept expecting it to be a, um, you know, who's going to initiate first, but um, she she seemed really like it was all innuendo and if you took it on the side of she was trying to seduce him quietly but she was just being actually just very innocent because she just lost the husband that she loves that's how i took it yeah i just was like this can't be the pickpocket's wife then we cut back to iris continuing to um seduce the patrolman she gets in the shower so she's showering then we go back to o'malley in the widow's apartment and he um asks he says that he needs help from the widow to help him recover the money needed to free so that everybody could be free of the police to conduct investigation to he needs to be free from the police who are conducting an investigation against him, and he needs her help to do that. Yeah, I don't think that she's the wife of the pickpocket. I think she's the wife of one of the guys that was shot at the rally. That in, He didn't get shot. Remember? They were trying to shoot him, but one of his guys gets shot. Oh, okay. Because well, maybe was. she, in that, in that apartment, she has a mock-up of the boat, the Black Beauty, on the mantle. Yeah. Well, yeah, because I thought the pickpocket was one of his guys, too. I guess I'm wrong. I guess it was. I guess you're right. It was one of his um, close associates. Mm -hmm. Okay. So then we're back with Iris. She's getting out of the shower, and she tells the patrolman she forgot her towel. He has to hand her her towel. And, um, oh. And she closes the door. She's going to get dressed. She says, are you, are you going to come in? And he just closes the door. And then he thinks about it. Then he decides to go in, of course. And she tells him to take his clothes off. How does he not see this coming? And so before they had talked about, she had talked about how if she were going to um, be intimate with him, he would have to wear a bag over his head because he wasn't good enough looking for her. So she tells him to take all his clothes off and put the bag on his head. Well, as soon as he does that, she runs out of the door mm-hmm. and escapes, of course. Um, he chases after her. So, of course, he's naked with a bag on his head out of the apartment. With where his all the gun. Neighbors- he shoots his gun up into the hallway. Like, yeah. This he's is- got no clothes on. He's got a bag on his head. And everybody in the apartment's... Uh, we're laughing at yeah they open their doors my favorite is the guy at the end of the apartment at the end of the hall (laughs) is standing there he's got a bottle of some sort of brown liquor in his hand and a glass and he you could tell and he's wearing one of those a-frame shirts undershirts and he's about to pour and he's just staring looking at the guy 
and just shaking his head. <laughs> yeah. Dude. Dude. Okay, now we're back with Ed and Digger, and they've gone to the junkie's place. Yes. Because the junkie knows, you know, all the all the undercurrents of what's going on in well, Harlem. No, the junkie was friends with... The pickpocket. Yeah, the pickpocket. Okay. And who's okay. the junkie? Cleavon I think Little. he was the one in, in the middle of the street who was like no, jello so he couldn't get hit. No, the junkie's Cleavon Little. No, I'm yes, going to have to look at it he's again. he's the painter. That was the pickpocket was his friend. When they oh saw the God. pickpocket died, they went to, they said, oh yeah, he was friends. He had an associate that was like named Doughboy or Poor Boy. So they go to him. He's all junkied up. And then when they get to him, he's crying because he has to get to the funeral. He has to get to the funeral of his friend, the pickpocket. Oh my gosh, I'm going to have to and look so that he, And so he, it's totally Cleavon Little. That AKA is so funny. Bart. From Blazing Saddles. It's his right. first movie. And he delivers one of my favorite lines. Which is? So if they're asking him, they're shaking him down for information. like Because they say, like, well, what happened? And he's crying because he's all messed up and stuff on the junk. And... He, he's like, I got to get to the food with my friend. And they said, well, tell us, like, what happened? He's like, we were, like, out there. And then he got hit by that meat truck. And he went sailing into the air. <laughs> he went, I've never seen anyone fly like that. And the Ozzy Davis cuts to him sailing in the air. And then they said, then and then these white guys got out of the van. And they're like, well, wait a second. They, you said they were wearing masks and stuff and hazmat suits. He's like, how did you know these guys were white? And he's just crying. He's like, my buddy, my friend. And he's like, and then they're they're shaking. Ed, you know, coughing. Ed's got no patience, so he's like, you know, has his hands up on the guy, shaking him. And he's like, how did you know they were white? And he was like, because they ran white. Damn it. <laughs> And he just collapses and cries. <laughs> and, Have you ever seen Tom Cruise run? And I'm like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> they ran white. <laughs> I mean, I understand what the guy's saying. <laughs> okay. Um, and then they said, what well, must be the syndicate? If they're well, white yeah, because they, well, then, well, Gravedigger and... Uh, and and coughing Ed are kind of like son of a bitch. How we got to deal with white guys? Like, I I like I wanted to just deal with black on black crime. Now we got white. I think he said like honkies in the woodpile or something. There is there is something about honkies somewhere. Yeah. Okay. Now we cut to O'Malley's tabernacle. He's got his own tabernacle, and Iris is there. Oh, no, Iris went there because up. she only had a little, like, cover-up thing on because she mm -hmm. ran out naked, too. Mm -hmm. So, at the Apollo, she's got a friend who who dances at the Apollo. No, but wait, Ma, you, you skipped a scene. Uh-oh, okay. She goes to, she pulls up to the church, and she sees this woman dressed in African garb. And so, she knows who that is. 
and there's these two white guys that are kind of there's two there's two white guys just posted up on on a building in Harlem. So I'm guessing like they probably look very suspicious. Right. And so the woman kind of walks by and kind of stops. And so um, Iris sees this from the cab and she said, tells the cab driver to take her to the Apollo. Uh, okay. So then Iris goes to the Apollo and that woman who is in the African garb is the widow of the friend who Deke O'Malley sent to the church. Right. Okay. The same widow whose apartment he was in earlier. Yes, and he still it because he needed a place to hide out. Right. So um, Iris goes in and she says to the dancer, "Lend me a dress. I gotta have a dress." Well, meanwhile, the dancer she's performing this number and she's got these feathers and balloons and she just stops midway because it's a rehearsal. This is at the Apollo. She's got to, she knows she needs to bring her a game or else the Sandman is going to come out <laughs> and take her off the stage, yank her off. So she th- throws a hissy fit and she tells one of these guys and this guy that's over in the, the side, he's an associate of Deco Malley's. We've seen him before. We saw him at the rally and he says, well, what's wrong? And she says, all of this stuff is like, it's all been done before. These balloons, these feathers, everything's out of style. And, and on top of that, they do not speak to my people and the plight of my people. I want something that speaks to us. And he's like, okay. <laughs> right. And that becomes important later. Yes. Okay, so then uh, we're back at the widow's apartment. So she has been staking out stuff for O'Malley. She's Mm -hmm. going back to give him intel. Yes. And she walks in and he comes out without a shirt on because he was uh, putting his shirt in the sink to be washed. Her name is Sister Mabel. So there are two white men at the tabernacle Offering a reward for anyone who can find a bale of cotton. Hmm. So that's that's pretty hilarious. You got two white men in Harlem offering a reward for a bale of cotton. (laughs) That's funny. So then it cuts back to Sister Mabel. And she's going, who's going to take care of me after Johnny's gone? And of course... She and O'Malley end up kissing. Well, because O'Malley, since his shirt was soaking, he goes and grabs one of the dead husband's, um, what are they called? I'm going to call it a caftan. Okay, like a caftan. Like a robe. Yeah. An Af- African robe. Mm-hmm. And so he puts it on, and so she's just like, oh, you, you look just, just like, like, my like him. Well, unfortunately, at that moment, Iris walks in and it does, does she not go- knock. She does oh, not no. knock on that door. Does she go after O'Malley? First, she goes after O'Malley because she's yeah. like, you SOB starts hitting and beating on on him. Tables get knocked over. He's trying to, to hold her and it's like, look, woman, like, hold up. Calm down. It's not what you think. And then. The 
the widow says something and then she turns on the widow and starts fighting the widow and then O'Malley's trying to break them up and then well uh, Iris takes that replica of the Black Beauty ship and hits Mabel over the head with it and knocks her out oh she doesn't knock her out that's kaput Mabel's gone Mabel's gone to be with her husband well, that's nice. I mean, she she was worried about what she'd do. Now yeah. she doesn't have to worry about that it. That problem is solved for you. There you go. Well, O'Malley smacks Iris. Well, he doesn't smack her. He grabs her, which didn't make me laugh. Because the way that it was shot, you see his hand. And I'm like, I've seen that hand before. <laughs> I've seen this point of view before. The second part of it, I, I've never seen that. But that first grab, I laughed so hard at that. I was like, oh, I know that grab. That he grabs The hand comes out, grabs her, comes in, and he socks her. And she's knocked out on the ground. And then the police enter, and he's like, oh, crap. And he hightails it out of the window. He does indeed. Now we meet the syndicate, the black syndicate leader. Now there's a syndicate leader who's white. This is, Casper is an underling for the the highest leader of the syndicate. He's like, you have directors and then you have managers and he's a manager. And um, so everybody's looking for this money. So, Casper, we didn't knock over. Oh, Casper is saying that they didn't take the money, that the syndicate was not who took the money, which they have figured out by now the money's in the bale of cotton. Isn't that right? Um, I don't know. I think so. So Digger says to him, take me up to Italian Harlem to your boss man because... Uh, the uh, Casper wants to let him know it wasn't the the syndicate that took the money. Yeah, because so. because you know to Gravedigger and Coffin Ed, the guy saw a bunch of dudes that were running like white guys. They st- they you know they jack they came in and stole and jacked the money. If white guys doing criminal stuff, it's got to be the Italians. I didn't right. say it. This is what the movie said. Right. Right. Italian-Americans who listen in. Oh, never mind. There aren't any. Okay. So (laughs) then we're cut to Red Fox with, um, he has the bale of cotton. And he's at the junkyard trying to sell it to the junkyard dude. Well, because the first time we see Red Fox, he is trying to buy a ticket on Black Beauty. And the down payment is $100. But what did he have? Like 20 maybe? He might, uh, even if he had 20 Yeah, and the woman's like, You're down, the down payment's 100 And Deco Mally says, oh, it's it's Uncle Bud. Just, just take his money. <laughs> Which is pretty cold-blooded when you think about it. <laughs> <laughs> just take the only money this man yeah. has had in his pocket He's for months. For and uh, what's his face? So, you know... Uncle Bud thinks that it's, oh, man, how great Deco Mally is because he let him. Exactly. You're letting me on for a discounted rate on the Black Beauty that's never going to sell. So, yeah. So he's trying to sell it for $50. And the the 
junk guys say in 15, then they hassle, hassle, hassle. They agree on $25. Mm-hmm. So he gets $25 for this bale of cotton that has $87,000 inside, but he doesn't know that. Mm-hmm. Then I wrote creepy white dude. Yeah. This creepy white and dude. And he's you've been, you've seen him before. He's always a creepy white yeah. dude. Yeah. And um, he goes to Red Fox. Red Fox lives on, it looks like, he lives on a dock. Yeah. On a, on a shack. In a shack on a dock. Yeah, it, it looks fair. Like, it looks like if he put a little money and time into it, it would be a cool spot. But there hasn't been any money nor time in it. And so it looks like, like at any moment, one bad storm and this guy is dead. Right. Either the, the pilings are going to drop into the water or the place is just going to fall down around. Yeah. It's just a nasty place. And so he tells Red Fox he's in the market for a bale of cotton. And um, he's getting kind of rough with Red Fox because Red Fox is an old man. And then Brother Barry. Well, wait, because Red Fox goes, uh... Why would there be a bale of cotton in Harlem? And he closes the door and runs away. And then the creepy white guy goes around. He goes around the side. And that's when he runs into Brother Barry. And Brother Barry's big and strong and young. And he runs off creepy white guy. Yeah, he's like a white guy. And he looks around. He's like, looks like you're the only white guy around here. Do you think this is really smart? And creepy white guy looks around and then he skedaddles. Point taken. So now it's they're in a pool hall. Hello, Mr. Hustler. Paul Newman. Paul Newman. He's not in it. O'Malley comes in. So um, somebody tells him that Brother Barry found the cotton. It's in the junkyard. So everybody's going looking for the cotton. Yeah. So this is nighttime. This is nighttime. Ed and Digger, the detectives, are going looking for the bale of cotton. Creepy white dude's going looking for the bale of cotton. And um, Brother Barry and O'Malley's people are going looking for the bale of cotton. The syndicate arrives looking for the bale of cotton. Now the Italians are, I mean, $87,000. We weren't about uh, in it before, but we're in it now. So Digger is really big with the flare gun. Yeah. He, he does a lot with that flare gun. He sends up a flare and then gunfire ensues. Well, he sends up, because it's darkness, he sends up a flare and it illuminates the junkyard and everybody sees everybody else sneaking around <laughs> with guns. And then that's when the fire breaks out. Because before they were just thought they were all the only ones. And then, then right. they see everyone else with guns. Then it just, all hell breaks loose. Um, O'Malley gets away. Creepy white dude gets away. The uh, The body count is six dead. Red brought back the bale of cotton. Oh, he bought it back for $30. Yeah, because then they asked the guy, the junkyard guy, because he's like, why are all these people dead in my junkyard? What the hell's going on? I think he was supposed to be Jewish, so there might have been an oy vey. And then they're like, relax, like, that bale of cotton. They're like, did you have a bale of cotton? And he was like, yeah, Uncle Bud came in. I sold it to him for 25 bucks. And then he came back a little while later and bought it back for me for 30 bucks. Mm-hmm. 
And everybody's like, what? He hauled it away. Uh, so O'Malley's telling his people, find uh, the person who stole my money. Um, it's going to be the same people who hijacked the rally. Oh, yeah, because when the police, when Digger and Coffinette are walking, O'Malley appears out of nowhere in this light-colored suit that's impeccable. I'm like, how is your suit? I'm, who wear? It looked like some sort of, like, cashmere. I don't know my fabrics, but it looked like one of those fabrics <laughs> where, like, you can't just wash it. And he's at a... Dry clean only. Yeah, you wore... And it's night. They were doing a clandestine mission. and this, In a junkyard. In a junkyard. And this guy wore a, a light-colored jacket like this. And he just pop. <laughs> he steps out of the shadows. Impeccable. No dirt on it. Nothing. I'm like, this man is a swindler. So then do they take O'Malley in for questioning? Um, I think they do take him in. I just forget why. Because oh. now I have the lieutenant is talking to O'Malley and he's saying, tell us what you know. Yeah, and they take him in because they found. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They take him in. Um, Because I think he admits to being at that woman's house. Like, that's where he was hiding out. Remember okay. the woman that ended up dead? Because yes. then we find out why they really took him in. That's right. Okay. So, and remember, the lieutenant and the captain were like, you know, you can't convince me O'Malley's a bad guy yet. You know, yeah. I think he's trying to help his people. Because the lieutenant, so still and, the, being, yeah, the lieutenant and the captain guy, they think that O'Malley is like Martin Luther King. And... He, well, they actually, yeah, okay. So um, so they say to O'Malley, tell us what you know. And O'Malley goes, take me back to my cell, hunky. Well, Iris is in jail. And Iris isn't looking as pretty as she did before. No, because they got Iris on, on uh, murder. murder charges. And she sees O'Malley. You left me for the cops. I told them everything. I told him that you set up the switch at the rally. Um, she said O'Malley took the boat and smashed Mabel's head with it. Oh, because, it, yeah, he said, Iris says that she tells the whole truth about what he was doing, about um, how it's a scam and there's never going to, they were just going to move on from city to city scamming black people with this yes. whole going back to Africa thing. And Mabel found out about it. I think that was the woman's name. And when she found out about it, he killed her with the black beauty to keep her from talking. And and then because you realize that because you're like, oh, you knew he's a swindler and all that stuff. But then when she changes what who killed the woman, you're like, oh, snap, this is not looking good for the guy. And he, so then he's, because his eyes are really big, and then he's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is Deco Malley. Says off and goes up to the white guy, I think who's the captain, and says, did you run the fingerprints on the black beauty boat that was used to kill homegirl? 
And he's like, yes, we did. And he's like, then would you tell these two detective fools that my fingerprints were not on the boat and the only fingerprints on the boat was that of this lion bitch? And he's pointing to Iris. Yeah. And the detect the the captain doesn't say anything, but with his look, you can tell that he's telling the truth. Like his fingerprints weren't on the boat. And then so then they take Iris away, and Iris is like, "On oh, my mother's grave, if it's the last thing I do, I'm gonna make you pay for this." And they take Iris away. Iris was feisty. Oh, hot tempered. So Digger says to O'Malley. You had it all. You could have been another Marcus Garvey or Malcolm X. Black folks would have followed you anywhere. Instead, you just pimped with chicken, sh- with a chicken shit backbone. Had to go back and write that down. So they're deciding to put O'Malley on ice for 24 hours. They don't really have him for anything because Iris obviously killed the, the babe and so they're just they're just wanting to hold him for 24 hours. But the lieutenant and the captain don't want to do that because they're worried of the repercussions of having Deke O'Malley in prison without really having a charge. Mm-hmm. Back in the days when you could worry about that. So Uncle Bud. Oh, they think Uncle Bud is dead. Yeah. So they're dragging the river for Uncle Bud. Uncle Bud, because his place is full of blood. Oh, I couldn't figure out why they thought Uncle Bud was dead. Well, his place is empty. There's a lot of blood, so they just assumed that oh. the bad guys killed him. There's so many bad guys in this movie. Okay, back at the O'Malley Tabernacle, um, there are singers in the st- Oh, there are women walking with trays of food going toward the jail. Yeah. Because they're going to feed Deco Malley a, a really good meal. It's going to be good. They're going to have some greens. Mm. There's going to be fried chicken. Mm. There's going to be cornbread. Corn mm. <sighs> some kind of cobbler. Mm. Mm-hmm. They're going toward the police station and they're singing. They're singing gospel all the way there. And then there are people behind them saying, Free O'Malley. Yes. And um, so the the captain is saying, if it gets out of control, go to signal whatever. There's a number that means it's a full-grown riot. We got a riot! And they do. They start, they get the riot guns. Well, Ed and Digger are outside the police station. And people are there. They aren't there to free O'Malley. They want their money back. Yeah. And they say they're going to burn the precinct to the ground if they have to. And Ed says, we may have broken some heads, but we've never broken no promises. We promise we're going to get your money. Yeah, because they're like, I gave $100 to that man and I want my money back. Um, And they're like, look. They're like, we don't trust you. Like, you're the, you're the police. No. What have you ever done anything right by us? You take money from us all the time, too. No. And so that's when Digger and, oh, no, Coffin Ed says, when have I ever made a promise to you that I did not keep? Right. And then the, and these, like, 
this like white looking cowboy group of guys shows up and everybody's like they're like free deke and everyone's like who asked you exactly what what do you have in this yeah they just came it was funny how they came running into a group of like five they just came running in with their picket sign and stuff and they're like where would you come from nobody asked you yeah i didn't fully understand that i think it was supposed to be like you know the people that they do that and they like they show up and they don't even know what it is that they're they they Uh, think they know hired people not the hired people, but like the people who, like the people who, like on the on the internet, get like they police and they tell people like what's offensive, and it like the white people who get on the internet and tell black people like like they they like they in their minds they're sticking up for them, and like mm-hmm. oh this is offensive like why are you doing it they'll they'll pick a company and be like why are you doing this J C Penney's this is offensive and it'll be something that's like, it's like, why are you speaking for me? Yeah. At this point, a white lawyer shows up for Mr. O'Malley. Mm -hmm. And um, he says it's time to release Deke O'Malley. Uh, well, the captain thinks it's the jealous woman is lying about Deke. So, you know, like, yeah, it's just a jealous woman. She walked in and she saw Deke kissing somebody else. So she's just lying because the captain was always on Deke's side. I began to think that the captain had some skin in the game. Ah, I think so did Coffin and Grave Digger. So captain says to Ed and and Deke then Digger that they were a fragrant breach of procedure. They bungled the whole thing. They had a vendetta against O'Malley and he was taking them off the case. Mm-hmm. And they said, Good. thank you, sir. Yeah. Fantastic. And he was like, whoa, so- something didn't work out there. Yeah, so they leave and then he's like, uh, what just happened? And the other guy says, I don't know, but I don't think I like it. So we see next time we see O'Malley, what does he have on, Aaron? Well, I believe he's got that cape. That cape is back. And then there's some dude in some Shriner hats yeah. telling O'Malley, we have the white man and we have the cotton. So O'Malley goes with them. He gets in a car with the Shriner hat dudes because hmm. we have, we have. Were they supposed the white... to be like the Nation of Islam kind of thing? I think so. Okay. Um. So they have the white dude, creepy white guy, mm-hmm. and they have the bale of cotton. So Amalie goes, "You got my eighty-seven thousand dollars. I'm going with you." Mm-hmm. Well, Ed and Digger say we need somebody who wants O'Malley more than we do, mm-hmm. and someone so who's they... very who's sly like a fox. So who do they go to? Well, the next scene we see, we see this woman, and she's got this black wide brim hat, and <laughs> with some blackberries on it. Uh huh. With a kind of like old lady red jacket. She's got an umbrella, one of those sharp metal points, and that she's see, using as a cane. Yeah, she's using it as a cane, and she's walking, and the white cop from before goes, "Hey." 
what are you doing lady and she's she starts mumbling about how she wants to free her reverend free her reverend and then she starts using that cane as a the umbrella cane as a weapon and against the white guy and he's all bobbing and weaving and stuff and he's like the woman he's not here we let him go what are you doing and she's just yelling about free reverend free reverend o'malley free reverend o'malley and digger standing there at where the the door is to the jail and he's like hey look woman now we already released the reverend why don't you get on out of here you know get on out of here before you have to stay here and so she she shuffles on off and walks out and leaves the jail and uh gravedigger turns back to the white guy and the white guy's like what the hell is that lady's problem and gravedigger goes my people and he just smiles he's like and shrugs his shoulders he's like my people and he walks out but who was she really she was really iris it was iris damn it iris found out that o'malley was out so Gravedigger basically uh, sprung like a uh, jailbroke iris. So she goes to the tabernacle. Yeah. Now, under the pulpit of the tabernacle is a secret entrance and exit, but she already knows about it. So she goes inside there in an underground bunker, mm-hmm. and she finds O'Malley and creepy white dude. Whose name is Creepy White Dude? Is Creepy White Dude Calhoun? Oh, I maybe Calhoun. That w- they would name the creepy white dude in this movie Calhoun. <laughs> uh, and and O'Malley is saying to Creepy White Dude, "I set it all up for you." Well, O'Malley isn't O'Malley tied up to a chair? Yes, mm-hmm. yes, they had him tied up. He said, I, I had it ready for you. You you were the idiot who fucked this up. Um, cut me loose and we'll go and we'll do 50-50. And Iris comes in and says, I know where the cotton is. Oh, yeah, because Iris busted in. They're like, what'd you do? And she's sitting down there and she's listening to Calhoun and O'Malley. And then you just see her smile. You're like, is this about cotton? <laughs> And they and they all turn to look at you. Like, do you know where the cotton is? And she's like, Yeah, I know where the cotton is. But well, I guess I do. Oh, uh, what's in it for me? And so then Calhoun has the gun and kind of holds it to her. And she's like, You can blow my brains out, but then you're not gonna know where the cotton is. And so they're like, Well, what do you want? And she's like, I want you to blow his brains out, pointing to O'Malley. And, and this guy's like, what the hell is going on here? And, and I'll take you to the cotton. You blow his brains yeah. out, I'll take you to the cotton. And he's like, well, why don't you do it? And she's like, untie me and I will. So then they hear something upstairs. So they freak out. They they want to they they want to run upstairs and see what's going on. So they untie her. You never untie Iris. Oh, she's feisty. And um. She breaks a bottle, and she's going to kill him with a broken bottle. She is one pissed woman. Yep. And so he goes, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Check in my pocket. Check in my pocket. Look what's in my pocket. Because every woman can be bought with a diamond ring. Oh, snap. It was pretty big, though. 
it, not only was it big, but there were several diamonds in it. Yeah. Yeah. So at this point, the police get to the tabernacle and they follow Calhoun. Well, Iris has the diamond ring on her finger. That's all she knows. She let she let him go. Mm-hmm. She's got the diamond ring on her finger and and she doesn't care what else is going on. So the captain calls an all points bulletin to apprehend Ed and Digger. This is when I'm sure the captain has some skin in the game. Ah. Well, the bale of cotton happens to be at the Apollo. What? It's on stage because this woman has found a way to do a dance using cotton that represents what her people have been through. Well, it's not just a dance. Technically, it's a striptease. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, And she's dressed as a slave woman. So so she can undo her head scarf and undo her neck scarf. She's got a lot of clothes that she's she's got got a lot to undo. Yes. And guess what? The Apollo crowd eats it up. Oh, it was pretty good. It was pretty good. And the name of her dance is When Cotton Comes to Heart. Ah. And she uh, she is taking cotton out of the bale as well as taking cotton off of her body. Mm-hmm. Uh, an unfortunate situation happens when Calhoun walks out on stage in blackface. Well, yeah, I don't really, I guess Calhoun was thinking that he was, if he, um, like, applied, because, I mean, he did, in fairness to Calhoun, he did, he didn't do, like, the, just the face part of it. He really was trying to blend in with black skin. He was, he was trying to get away. I think he even was wearing a mask. I think it was like a a weird mask of some kind. It was a mask of some kind. And so, yeah, he's just trying to blend in. And then, and then who's, somebody sees him in the background. Oh, I think O'Malley sees him and pushes him on stage. Yes. And then every, and he falls on stage and everybody's like, what the hell? Because you can just tell that it's a white man in blackface. And so, of course, it's the Apollo. It's a record scratch. And everybody's like, what the hell is this? The music stops? Yeah, because also he's dressed up like he's dressed up like the Monopoly millionaire guy. Yeah. But in blackface. So it's very like, what the hell is going on here? With a top hat and everything. And then... The music stops and O'Malley comes out and said and pulls his mask off and is like, this is a white man. And then he stole eighty seven thousand dollars. He's like, he's this man stole you all y'all's money. And pushes him into. the. Oh, yeah. He pushes him into the audience. He's like, have at him. (laughs) And then then they like start beating on him and stuff. And then. Gravedigger and and Coffinette have to come out. And they're like, no, no, guys, you you have to stop beating this white man. He's mine. It's the police. Get back. Don't worry. He'll get his. And they like put him up and they arrest him. Makes him like uh spread out on the what is that the 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 background shack thing. He handcuffs him. 
t- puts his hands above it, and then what does he say? He like he's like haul him off to the sky, boys, and so then they like reel him up, and the set goes up, and so does Calhoun. So O'Malley is is in that bale of cotton looking for his money. Yeah, and Ed pulls a gun and then puts it away. And then it's fisticuffs oh, between well, because Ed and O'Malley. That was, so then, oh, so what's, uh, Gravedigger, the guy, go, Calhoun goes up, Gravedigger tells the cops to take the bale of cotton in the back, and then Gravedigger goes over to, like, the the easel where the, um, the title of who's performing is on, and he just flicks the card and is like, continue the show. And so then the next group comes out and starts singing. And yeah, so then they it's go a and, little gospel, gospel choir of three yeah. women and some children. And so then they go, then they go in the background, and O'Malley's in the back, hunting through the cotton, trying to find it. And Coffin Ed comes in. He's got his gun, and he holsters his gun, and he just starts whipping on O'Malley. And O'Malley says to him, it's $87,000. We can split it 50-50. And Ed goes, "Uh, you steal from white folks, it's your business. You steal from black folks, it's my business. So they fight through this prop room. Well, they don't really fight. It's pretty much. They chase each other through the prop room. It's pretty much. O'Malley trying to get away from Coffin Ed and Coffin Ed just whooping his ass. Because he's got he's got daggers in his eyeballs. Mm-hmm. Iris walks in with a gun. And she does a poor job of using it. Yeah, she did. And the white patrolman comes in, he gets her, and they are handcuffed together. Great uh yeah, Grave Digger handcuffs them together. Well, the little gospel group is still on stage. O'Malley's face is all bloody, and he staggers onto the stage. And this gospel group, I mean, talk about the show must go on <laughs> and never stop. They, they are focused. They do not stop singing. As O'Malley comes out of the wings onto the stage, all bloodied and battered, this group, like right next to the group, you would think they would just stop singing. No. This woman, they all of them were like, we're at the Apollo. We're going to perform, damn it. Give these people what they want. But there are police on both sides of the stage. So O'Malley has nowhere to go. So he tries to talk his way out of it with the crowd. And and the kid, so the kid has a mic, has the microphone. And he keeps trying to take the microphone away from the kid. Finally, he hits the kid. And sends the kid flying. Well, at that point, the people in the crowd are totally against him. Mm -hmm. They're getting up to leave. They're just walking out. He's like, you're going to turn your back on me? Don't turn your backs on me. Well, at this point, Digger cuts one of the ropes. And that just lowers the curtain so that O'Malley isn't seen anymore. Well, we have the white policeman with the bale of cotton, but the bale is empty. There's no money in it. And remember, Coffin Ed promised the people he would give them their money back. So they're back at the white syndicate. Yeah, so they get, so they come up with this idea because 
you know, Gravedigger's like, the next time you write an IOU, why don't you keep my name off of it? So they're like, well, we have this, we have this one idea that we could do. So they go, and they're with the Italian crime syndicate boss and the Harlem lieutenant guy. Keep going. Well, they say, they basically, Gravedigger and Coffin Ed broker a deal. They say, look how much money to the Italian signature. Look how much money you are making off of Harlem. You're making all this money off of Harlem. If these people don't get their, like, what is $87,000 to you, really? Think about it. You, if you give this money back to the people, you're probably going to get the money back in other ways, you know, from because they'll have their money back so they can do the numbers with you and all this other stuff. If they don't get their money back, all hell is probably going to break loose. And you guys are probably going to get blamed for it. And they're probably going to try to kick you out of Harlem. Because black people are going to want to take over the white businesses. Yeah, it's like, why are, like, you're making all, you're white. You're making all this money off of Harlem. People are going to resent, like, you know, they're going to resent you. And they're going to think that it should be black owned. Everything, even crime. So they're going to kick you out. And there goes your income stream from Harlem. Or you could just, you know, pay us the $85,000 and we give it back to everyone. Is that about right? Yep. The next scene, Lieutenant and the captain are pulling money out of that bale of cotton. Yep. And the white dude is saying, you tricked me. And Digger says to the captain, may we go, Captain? And then they get a postcard from Red Fox. Because they're like, well, whatever happened to the money then? And how did the money end up back in the bale of yeah. cotton? Yeah. So then they, no, well, they know how the money ended up back in the bale of cotton. They want to know what happened to the money from the bale of cotton. And they get a postcard. And Coffin Ed reads it, and it's a picture of Red Fox. You can tell he's probably in Africa, probably in Ghana, surrounded a by a villa like, in three, Africa. A villa in Africa, and he says, "If you're if you're dragging the river looking for my body, and that eighty four thousand eighty seven thousand dollars, stop. I took it. I bought a villa in Africa, and I'm farming my own cotton. If you're ever in this neck of the woods, feel free to stop by. Life's fantastic." And it was like his, he named it like Booker. His name, his full name was something like Booker Washington something. Also known as Uncle Bud. The end. And they laugh and they're like, Uncle Bud, got him, got him, Uncle Bud. Uncle Bud. Yep. Cotton goes to Harlem. Cotton comes to Harlem. Comes. Okay. I, um, the only trivia I had was this was one of the first black exploitation films. It was. It was one of the first black exploitation films. It was released the same day as Godfrey Cambridge's other film, Watermelon Man, which I think we'll probably do at some other time. Okay. Seven people in this film would later appear on Sanford and Son. Five people from the film would later appear appear in Good Times, the TV show. Mm-hmm. Um, as I said, it was... Written by Ozzie Davis and Arnold Pearl. And Arnold Pearl 
wrote and directed the documentary Malcolm X. And it came out, or so, um, in like 1970, but he died in 1971. And so he had, he wrote and directed the documentary Malcolm X, and he was posthumously nominated for Best Documentary Feature. And then Spike Lee later rewrote his script for his movie Malcolm X. Ah. Mm-hmm. Um, the book Cotton Comes to Harlem is the sixth and best known of the Gravedigger Jones and Cotton Ed Johnson mysteries written by Chester Himes. Um, Godfrey Cambridge, in 1965, Time called him, quote, one of the country's four most celebrated Negro comedians. So, I mean, one of four in 1965. He died at the age of 43 of a heart attack. He was wow. on set um, in Burbank to, for a TV movie called Victory at Entebbe. And he was going to play Idi Amin. Oh, my gosh. And when he died, the real Idi Amin called his, his death punishment by God. <gasps> well, at least his head wasn't in a freezer at Idi Amin's house. Yeah. Um, yeah, so they said that that's what, because he didn't, I guess he gained, like, a whole bunch of weight. He was, like, a compulsive eater after, I guess, this movie came out, and that's what contributed to his I mean, he was heavy set attack. in this movie, but my, he got yeah. huge. Oh, okay. Um, he's also a stage actor, and he was nominated for a Tony in 1962 for Pearly Victorious, and that was written by Ozzie Davis as well. And Raymond St. Jacques, or Jacks, he was the first African-American to appear as a regular on a Western TV series when he was on Rawhide as Simon Blake. Rawhide. Mm -hmm. In 1977, he publicly criticized the lack of minority characters in Star Wars and other sci-fi films. Wow. He was like, hey, what the hell's up with this? Yeah, you can have all those... Alien looking people. Yeah. But only Billy D. Williams. That's it. Well, he was a pretty man. Yeah, but I mean all the space. I agree. Um Judy Pace, who played Iris, she was she was married to another actor before that, but what I found interesting was that she was married to Kurt Flood. And Kurt Flood is He's not as famous as he should be, but he was a baseball player. And he basically, because of him, single-handedly started what's known as free agency. All right. Mm-hmm. Because he w- he was like, why does this feel like, like I'm being owned? Like mm-hmm. that, that seems very slavish to me. Mm-hmm. So um, they met on the dating game in 1966. Really? And they dated, but then she got married. I forget the other guy. He was an actor. And then they reunited after her divorce, and they got married in 1984 until Kurt Flood's death. Hmm. So I thought that was interesting. It's that the, is interesting. It's the most profitable movie in 1970 starring black people. 
Well, was it the only movie in 1970 starring black people? Yes, I think it was. <laughs> it was the 22nd highest grossing film of 1970. It, expi- it inspired more black exploitation films like Shaft mm-hmm. and Superfly. Mm-hmm. It had a sequel called Come Back, Charleston Blue. Mm. Um, it was Cleavon Little's film debut. Mm-hmm. And 1970, it won the Image Award for Red Fox Best Supporting Actor in a Motion Picture. He was adorable. And he didn't say one bad word in it, I don't think. I don't think he did either. That's unusual. Mm-hmm. So. Well, if you want to get your black exploitation on, check yeah. out Cotton Comes to Harlem. Yes. It's nice to see a movie with all black people in it. Well, there we could have done a W uh, um a WP count in this one. White people. Yeah, but I there mean, still would have been like 10 and a lot of them had speaking parts. <laughs> You're right. You're right. I mean, eight we could do Asian. There was one Asian woman and she got yelled at from the Italian crime syndicate for not making Mugu Guy Pan correctly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was nice to see white people in the minority. Yeah. That was, oh, that line is so funny. The way he delivers. They run white, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Because this movie did a... It, it, it's... um. Oh, what was it called? It takes a lot of conventional setups and then twists it on its head. Like, you have the conventional setup for a film noir when the reverend goes into that widow widow's place and the way that their whole scene is, it totally follows in the film noir of like, oh, she's a femme fatale and mm-hmm. she's going to seduce him and 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 then it turns it up on its head when Iris shows up and just kills the woman. Yes. And oh, there was another example that just it just left my head of like it take it sets something. Oh, like and that like it sets it up. No, there's the class. Like you all seen a law and order and they're shaking the guy down and they're like, why did how do you know such and such? <laughs> and, and then it's always like some bombshell and like this bombshells. They ran white. Damn it. <laughs> There was a lot of that. And I see, I see in this film, I'm like, ah, it, I think that Spike Lee was heavily influenced by Ozzy Davis's style. Mm. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just, just thinking, just postulating, surmising. All right. So there you have it. I was a little disappointed that I did not get a Ruby D cameo. At least, yeah, at least a cameo. Yeah. But, you know, maybe Ruby D read the script and said, eh. <laughs> Yeah, I don't have to be in this one. Yeah. She could have been one of the gospel singers taking food. I don't know. Love maybe. Me some Ruby D. Maybe. She's probably like, I'm freaking Ruby D. Yeah. I'm not I'm not gonna earn scale. 
Yeah. You got to pay me more than scale. I may be married to you, but <laughs> these supreme acting chops are not charity. Okay, well, next week we're taking a different turn. Oh, what is it? Are we, Are you going to give me hints? Um, well, in honor of your upcoming birthday. Ooh, it is. It's a 1980 film. 19 Ordinary People. 1980 comedy. Tootsie? I don't think Tootsie was 80. Oh. Like 82 or something. 1980. That was the year of my birth. The year of your birth. All right, who's in it? One name. Well, that's going to totally give it away. Ah, then give me another clue that doesn't totally give it away. Um, well, remember, um, last week the apartment was set in an office building environment. Nine to five. Bingo. It is? <laughs> it's nine to five. I, I didn't think that that was 1980. It was a 1980 film. Jane Fonda. Lily Tomlin, Dolly Parton. Oh, one of the best movie songs ever. And what a great song. Here's a recommendation for anyone, anyone who works. When you're, you're getting your stuff, you've pulled in to work, getting your stuff together. If you've got to walk or you have to walk in, bring up nine to five, put it in your earbuds as you're walking into the door. Oh, it's great. Dun, 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 dun. And then really listen to those lyrics. And you tell me if you're not. My God, she nailed it. <laughs> my God, Dolly Parton. I listened to that song. It was a couple of years ago. I rediscovered that song. And it gave me a whole new appreciation for Dolly Parton. Yeah. Like, like, yeah, if you're not country, you probably don't really appreciate Dolly, but yeah. Yeah. And then I listen to Jolene and I'm just like, my God, Dolly Parton, I see how you became, you have talent. Yep. Yep. She wasn't always on that swing. I don't know what with, that is. Oh, well, she was on the swing with, oh, who was it? Who was the guy? On a TV show. Oh, I don't know. That was before oh. my time. Oh. Ma, did you know yeah. that they're, aren't they remaking 9 to 5? No, I didn't know this. I picked this without any idea that it was being remade. Yeah. And that news came, that's why I kind of thought that maybe you picked it. Nope. Hold on. I, I looked at, at 1980s movies. And I didn't want to do a Star Wars. I didn't. You don't want to well, do ordinary people? No, it's such a downer. When I was in L.A. and I was on the uh, Famous People bus tour and Timothy Hutton pulled up next to it and rolled his window up, his tinted window, so we couldn't see him. I went, no, no ordinary people. It's a sequel. Who's going to be in it? Well, Jane Fonda is an executive producer. So I'm pretty sure like Lily Tomlin's like a lock-in. Right now, Dolly, Lily, and I are all intending to be in it. Oh, wow. It's technically still in development. 
Okay. Use of the potential 95 sequel still technically in development came earlier in 2008 when Rashida Jones and Patrick Rosnick boarded the 2000. They brought to right timing certainly makes sense. Tackle the Me Too movement. I think. I think. I don't. That it's probably. I mean, it's probably going to be the three of them, and they're they're still working because they probably have to. Still because, be working. Yeah, exactly. And then it's going to be three younger people that they probably have thinking. to mentor. And they're going to be like really angry that nothing has changed in 40 mm -hmm. years. <laughs> if I had to take a guess. <laughs> I think and I think that if it does really well, it's going to spawn a whole like subgenre of movies where it's sequels from like socially conscious sequels from movies that happen now and then they're just gonna be angrier because nothing really has fucking changed <laughs> or things might have changed a little and then they went back <laughs> and they're just gonna be raging i like it i'm in you don't All even have right. to i don't even care who the young people are i would still watch a movie with dolly parton jane fonda and lily tomlin that's right okay listeners next week nine two five what a way to make a living. And happy birthday, Erin. Thank you. Thank you. See you next week. Bye-bye.